All right, welcome back to episode eight of Why Is This Good, a podcast from the Naples Writers Workshop in Naples, Florida. I'm Christine, and I'm here with John and Rob. Hello. Hey. All right, and this is Rob's story. So Rob, tell us what you picked and who it's written by. This is Miranda July's The Boy from Lamb, Lamb Keen, Lamb Kind. Not sure. I was saying Keen. Keen. Yeah. Just because of influence of German, but it's not German. L-A-M-K-I-E-N. So. <laughs> We walked back to the front door because he said it was time for him to go. He said this apologetically, as if I would not be able to live without him. I said this was for the best because I had a lot of work to do. When I said a lot of work, I moved my hands apart to represent all the work. He stared at the space between my palms and asked if I played the accordion. I could feel the accordion between my hands and how impressed he would be if I said yes. I said no, and a pillow fell off the couch by itself. This happens sometimes, and I try to ignore it. The boy raised his eyebrows a little, and I saw that I was saved. I do not play the accordion or have bunk beds, but I have these pillows. They move by themselves. I opened the door, and he left without saying goodbye. I watched him cr- across the street to Lamkeen Beauty Salon. He shut the door behind him. I shut my door and listened to the sucking sound. It was the sound of earth hurtling away from the apartment at a speed too fast to imagine. And as all of creation pulled away in this tornado-like vortex, it laughed. The sarcastic laugh of something that has never had to try. I peeked out the window. Beyond the juniper bush, there was just gray smoke swirling in every direction. I shut the curtains so that they overlapped. I walked around the apartment. I stared at the book in the corner of the kitchen floor. I put the cap back on in the hair gel. The covers on my bed were all messed up. I ran my hand over the topography of the bedspread. There were river valleys and mountain communities. There was smooth desert tundra. There was a city, and in that city, there was a beauty salon. I took off my shoes and got under the covers. I whispered, shut your eyes, and I shut my eyes and pretended it was night, and that the world was all around me sleeping. I told myself that the sound of my breathing was really the sound of all the animals in the world breathing. Even the humans, even the boy, even his dog, all together, all breathing, all on earth at night. Cool. So why did you pick this one? Well, truth be told, I picked it because it was really quick and kind of an effective, I mean, kind of a lot happens. Obviously, nothing really happens. But um, yeah, kind of for the sake of brevity. And it just has like its own, obviously, it has its own feel. It's a little, um, I don't know. When I first, I've read the story years ago and I thought it was like, like the kid wasn't there or something. It just had like a dreamy effect on it, which, you know, I don't, I don't still think that. I think it's a real interaction, at least according to the story. But it still has a dreamy, weird feel to it that I um that I like. So I guess just kind of um for me, it's a good example of how a a, a, a story can introduce just an impression that's interesting to uh. You can't really think about it too much, but you you, you certainly feel it, and it just kind of uh, uh it's more of a feeling than going after what is this about, what does this mean. So I, that's usually the stuff that I look out for. It does have a dreamlike quality. It's almost because at least I think it's because there's no dialogue. Like, she talks about what they're saying to each other, but the way it's described and the punctuation without quotes, it's almost like she's concocting the whole interaction. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things I thought initially. I was like, oh, this isn't happening. (laughs) It is weird, even if it is happening. It's like, "Mm." This was a, there was a line in here. uh, He said, or she wrote, um, he gave me a long, strange stare and my mind bent like a spoon. And that, that line, I think it it, opened a portal in my head and I figured the story out (laughs) based on that. Because it remind that line, it's not not the same as as what I'm about to say, but it reminded me of the Paul Edward story uh, or um, poem. If you guys have heard of this, it's, it's in French, but the the um, translation I like of its title the best is uh, "The Earth is Blue Like an Orange." Mm-hmm. Right, have you heard of this? Yeah, I've heard of the it title. Sounds I don't familiar. Know yeah, yeah. It, it's a it's a surrealist. He was like one of the people who founded surrealism. 
mm-hmm. and realizing this is a surreal, like a, looking at this as a surrealist story really kind of made me um, appreciate it more because uh, there's a lot of moments in here, the stream of consciousness, um, which came out of surrealism, right? The idea mm-hmm. of using stream of consciousness as a, uh, as a tool and just that kind of like juxtaposition of unusual elements, very, uh, I don't think it's true surrealism because, you know, we don't, it's not really a school of writing anymore, but, um, it definitely has those elements and it just made me, oh, that's what it was. Uh, you said, uh, it's the kind of story that you don't really look for a meaning for. And that's one of the things that the surrealists really played with is it isn't about finding a meaning, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's about the feeling you get from it. It's about the experience of it, what it does to you as you read it, not necessarily finding out what it means. Great. Okay. So I spent my whole time thinking about this story and what it means. <laughs> and do you guys, are you familiar with Miranda July? Like, have you seen her movies? And yeah, stuff? I've seen her first one. I haven't the, seen the second one. Everyone, it's like you, me and everyone we know. Is the one yeah, one. yeah. Yeah. And like, I think I read, I think she had another, sh- I think it was a short was story book, collection right? yeah. about like, um, garage sale stuff or something. Yeah. Well, well I, I think like the overarching meaning and not to think like too much about it, but I think like a theme for her at least is these bizarre characters that feel very much modeled after herself. And maybe they do or don't have like something as benign as anxiety or something as severe as like, you know, a real mental illness, but whatever it is, like they are constantly struggling to connect with other characters in a way that feels like appropriate or real or like not self-conscious. Yeah, I'm not saying that there isn't something we can pull out of it yeah. like that. Because I wrote the same thing down at the end. Like the ending when she's like the right. part that Rob read, she's finally found a way to connect with the world. Yeah. At the end there. Yeah. Well, I guess I guess all I'm saying is that that's what um, is enjoyable about it. Like whether or not you have this crippling inability to leave your home, like she can't leave her home. And she talks about that. Like, um, you can relate in some way to how weird it is to try to connect with people, especially if the, if it's like a little boy across the street. And yet she's pulling such, she, she's enjoying this so much. And, and it's bizarre. Yeah. I don't know. I, when I started reading it, um, and the humor comes across like immediately because it's like slightly de- self deprecating. She's like, I know I'm weird. I can't leave my house. It makes it really easy to sympathize with her, even though the rest of it is just so weird and out there. I mean, yeah. And I think um, I, I noted that the style is very internal, which I think lends to what you're talking about. Um, it's yeah. very inner head. And like I said before, there's very, a lot of stream of consciousness moments. Like, uh, so there's a section she writes, uh, I didn't want to see, I, I didn't want him to see I was the kind of person who wore hell, hair gel because I'm not really. A friend left it here. Wouldn't that be nice if I had a friend and she brought her hair gel over and she left it here? This is what I would say if I was asked, if you open the drawer. That little um, interlude in the middle there, wouldn't that be nice if I had a friend and she brought her hair gel, hair gel over, is something that arises because of the previous thought, right? Yeah, it's all in her own. So that's that's like a total stream of consciousness. Right. It's like things that just get triggered associationally, associationally by association. Um, I make up adverbs too, pretty regularly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was going to connect that back to what you said. I forgot Oops. where I was going. Because you made up an adverb. Yeah. Well, the other thing about like her movie, there's a there's a bunch of kids in the film, and the kids are weird, um, but they're hilarious. And I think um, what's interesting, too, is that characters like her who struggle to connect can do it 
in some level with children who, who don't have these barriers up, who aren't like yet self-conscious, who aren't, this kid just walks right over. He's like, show me your room. She's like, oh crap. Okay. This is happening. (laughs) I like that. It it feels innocent that way. It's a great idea for, um, quick little stories too. When you, it, it seems like it gets stereotypical sometimes where you just give the narrator will have like some weird debilitating mental thing. But if you can spin it in a weird, cool way, that's not, you know, I guess formulaic. Then I think you can come up with fun stuff like this. Like you don't see a lot of agoraphobic fiction out there. And yeah, this feels like kind of just like a dreamy, lighthearted cartoon, which yeah, you don't have to go over the top with it. Yeah. When I was trying to think of what I would try to copy from this, um, it was less about like trying to do something cool like that and more about the idea of like when you're writing something and something bizarre comes to your mind, like, um, like a non sequitur almost. Like instead of like editing that before it even gets to the page, like just going with it. Mm-hmm. That's like the closest I've ever come to when people say things like, Oh, my character just jumps off the page and does things. Like mine doesn't. I feel like I really have to think about my characters, but every once in a while you do get like this, this thought that just pops in your head. And, and sometimes I'm self conscious about like those weird connections. Is it your thought or is it the character's thought? It's usually mine. It's like, this is my interpretation of something or like, or or like when you're describing like a feeling to someone and you want to describe a certain feeling that you're not sure if they've ever had. (laughs) I don't know. I guess what I was getting at was rather than like try to copy Miranda July, just try to authentically be yourself. And that's probably weird enough. Like you might not realize it, but mm-hmm. yeah, we've talked about this before at workshop or someone mentioned it. I think, uh, John did a while ago that you're going to bring yourself to your, your thing, no matter what, like the weird thing in the story will be you. That's what you had said. So the weird thing in the story is just going <laughs> to be whatever like you bring too. to it. Yeah. And yeah. That's something I, say, I might have said. <laughs> yeah. I forget who you said. You may have said it. Um, I'm not going to say on the air. That's not polite, but, <laughs> but, uh, it's good advice. And obviously, yeah, this is probably a pretty good example of that. Because here's someone who probably, like, thinks she's too weird to relate to, and yet she's made this career mm. writing stuff that people are like, I I enjoy that, even if I don't identify. Like, people are are more than willing to read this kind of thing. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's pop. It's I still see this in bookstores, which is kind of surprising to me for some reason. Yeah. She seems like one of these, like, fringe voices of our yeah, time. But mainstream fringe, I mean. Yeah, we movies on I think her movie's on Netflix or was on yeah. Netflix, yeah. And it's one of the ones you, like, watch multiple times, like a cult. Which is um nice to see that just whether it's surrealism or whatever it is, it's still, you know, it's out there available because art that's not gets kind of boring after a while if you can't try to do something new and different. What else would you guys try to take away from it then or copy? I wouldn't try to do too much. I mean, I like this story. It's fun. She's so quirky that I wouldn't, and I don't mean that's not dismissive. I quirky is what I like about it. Right. But some stuff I don't, I try to, or I just don't consider it. Like some stuff I feel naturally that, oh, I'm going to imitate a lot of stuff. Yeah. But this is like, she's in her own class type yeah. thing. Yeah. And I think that's stuff that I usually try to read sometimes is stuff that just feels foreign or alien. Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of the novelty or the perk of it. What about you, John? Well, I mean, I mentioned the stream of consciousness. I've written several things in the workshop were, uh, that were kind of a stream of consciousness presentation of stuff. So I like that device. Actually, there's one thing um, in the section you read. I marked this. Uh, I don't. Uh, she wrote, "I shut my door and listened to the sucking sound." And I marked the word "the," and uh, and it might be triggered off of that that thing that you had. I mentioned that I talked about the at one time. I don't know. Um, I probably blocked that. <laughs> Block that out. <laughs> but it is interesting, though. The difference between the and a. Not to interrupt, but I do. When I, if you guys ever get caught, just to have like a writing experience moment, like I'll get caught on the sometimes. Which yes. like the uh, like because 
It is important. Yeah. Yeah. The, I, I feel like we should talk about that more. Um, and even in the workshop, we should like go word, like when she talks about reading a, a story, or reading the book and she's like halfway through the, she's reading it word by word in this story. She's reading a book word by word. She's halfway through or she made it through this word and then that word. And by the time she gets to the last end of the sentence, she's going to have forgotten the first two words. Mm-hmm. You guys remember this, right? Mm-hmm. But, uh, we should think about our fiction that way in a lot of ways. And I think every, Maybe not as we're writing it, but in revision. So coming on a word like the, I thought about this recently because of something you posted. It was a tattoo or something. It was a what miss. on our workshop Instagram. No, it was uh, I don't remember where. Maybe it wasn't you. Maybe it was somebody else. But you were part of the group. You said something like a meme. Oh, I think Shelby shared. It was a bad tattoo. tattoo yeah, yeah, yeah. And it had the word the in it. Yeah. And the the was the mistake. <laughs> <laughs> that sucks. But okay, so when we write. We'll write something. The first line of a story could be something like the truck appeared out of nowhere, right? But in normal, in ordinary discourse, you only use the word the if it's something that's already been established in discourse, right? right? If I say, um, last week I went to a store and to buy something, say, that's not a good example, but usually it's if you're referring to something you've already talked about or that you and the listener already know about, right? Um, together. But if the first word in a story is the, the truck appeared out of nowhere. You have not established the truck in the discourse and the reader hasn't, isn't familiar with the truck. You're just throwing it at them as if it's familiar. And I think, you know, this is maybe a, this is kind of a guess, but it helps create an immediate connection with an unfamiliar thing. It yeah. tells you this is an important thing that you should be connected to. Mm. You're going to pay attention to it. So it becomes like the, like the best adjective you could use maybe. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's just an article, but it, it, best, uh, it just, it's a big highlighter. Mm-hmm. Right. So anyway, that was a thought I had reading that particular sentence. In fact, my, my short story that I've been tinkering with, that's how it starts. It starts introducing something in the story with a the as if, as if to say, this is what I want you to look at. Right. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's critical. It's almost told though too, in like, you talked about like in discourse versus in writing, but in writing, it's, you're writing the because you know as the writer, too, that this is what we're going to focus on. Yeah. So it's a signifier, but it's also like you've decided in your head this is a thing. Yeah, I think we do that unconsciously. Yeah. Because the way language works in general is because the is is something that signifies import, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas a is something that you, you slide by. Right. The truck appeared with a load of logs on it or something. I don't know. Well, in this case, too, when she says something like the sucking sound that a door makes... A truck we're all familiar with, but the sucking sound that a door makes, the, the fact that she uses the here is almost, like I said, she's connecting this feeling or thought that we may or may not have had before, but she's it's like an intimate way to describe it. Like, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, and then the next line makes it even more important. It was the sound of earth hurtling away right. from the apartment at a speed too fast to imagine. This is a really important sound that we have to be immediately connected to, right? That's why I think that... I don't think we think about that very often. I think we just do it, but it is something that might be worth thinking about. I would have liked more of that type of writing that you just read with when she's describing what it feels like to be in a room and all, and when the covers and stuff. Because I felt like the um, just kind of the liveliest, the, yeah. the liveliest sentences. So it makes me wonder, like, when you're doing your own writing and you're like, oh wait, I, this I have a good rhythm here, but this it's different than the rest of the story. Should I go back and try to catch whatever I have now and like transfer it elsewhere so you can like have a 
you know, just high energy throughout the whole story. I find I, that's so hard to do. I feel like yeah, it is. It's tough. It's labor intensive. I've done that to myself where I'll I'll write a story in one mindset and then I'll want to come back to it like a day or a week or hour later. You can't capture it again. So there's something to be said for just going with it in the moment because you're not going to get that like. I don't always get that spark. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it kind of makes you think, well, on the other hand, stories have their own rhythm anyway. And, you know, you do what you can do. And, you know, she's in a book, so <laughs> <laughs> I guess it worked, out, right. it worked out okay. I also had a uh, fiction professor once who said one of the assignments was to personify an animal or a child because he said that that's not often done or it's not often done well. It's done usually with like stereotypes. So I think in, um, in this, obviously this kid is a full fledged character and she spends a lot of time, not necessarily with how he looks physically, but, um, we get a real sense of him as a kid being weird and like kind of inappropriate and bold and uh, bold in his mistakes too. Like, yeah. He's like, let me into your room. And he's like, no, that's a minnow. It's like, oh, you're yeah, the minnow. Yeah. yeah that's probably really authentic. Yeah. He's like, uh, um, so I, I think another thing to take away from this would be to think a little more about kids in your stories. I never write about kids. It's, it's probably because I don't have them, but why couldn't I introduce one? It's like how we talked about making your characters eat. Like, what a simple novel mm-hmm. idea, except like, we don't do it. One other thing, uh, we, a couple episodes ago when we were talking about Telltale Heart, we talked about uh, first-person point of view and how you can present third-person and switch it's kind of elastic in how you present uh, a third person perspective in there. But in here, she's, uh, she does this thing. Everything in here is very internal. Like we we're talking about it's very in her head because she's worried about everything. Uh, but, um, when she's talking, she's describing the actions the kid takes. She says, he walked over to me, stood before me, did not judge me. That last, that last part that did not judge me is, is not, that's not literally something he, um, it's a negative. So he's not, not doing it. Of course, he's uh, not doing it. But that's that stems completely out of her worry. Yeah. Which is, I think it's uh, something to pay attention to when you're characterizing other characters from a first-person narrator is how their own worries bleed into the way they see other people. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds obvious now that you're spelling that out, but yeah. Yeah. A lot of this stuff is just obvious, but you know, it's something that we often just do unconsciously. Mm. Cool. Anything else? All right. Thanks, guys. Bye.